From Bossier City, Louisiana, this is the Grouch and the Brainstorm. Welcome back to the Grouch and the Brainstorm, episode 15. Can you believe we have 15 episodes in? That is it's crazy. Wow. That is crazy. That is insane. That is everything that describes us. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be 15 episodes is a lot of episodes. It's at least 15 hours worth of recording, if you think about it. So, mm. And that's not to mention the bonus episodes that we have done. So we, <laughs> we, we, have, uh, we have a lot, a lot of hours worth of recording. And, uh, and I hope everyone enjoys this thing. You know, I want to go ahead and start it out by saying that you can uh, – Send us an email at b and g bozier at gmail.com. B and g bozier at gmail.com. And we have a telephone number, which is 985 377 4816. And we would love to hear you leave a voicemail. If you want, we'll play the voicemail on the air. Might even talk about it a little bit. We won't talk about you, though. Um, this is a podcast about recovery and that's what we like to talk about and things that have, have our experience in recovery. We don't really give any suggestions. We don't give advice. We don't give any of that. We just talk about our experience in recovery. So there may be some things we leave out because we may not have experienced that, you know, but gathered around the table, we have a lot of years of recovery and we've, we've covered a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff in our years of recovery. Some of us may have, you know, seen more than others and some in newer recovery may have seen more than others. And that is the purpose of meetings, you know, where we can go and we can discuss what's going on and, and um, how we need to get through it. You know, that's why I really, whenever we have the topic of the day, you know, if it doesn't necessarily cover what someone in the room's going through, uh, they may, you know, may not have got the full brunt, but, you know, at least they got something out of the meeting. So uh, tonight with me, I have Ben. Say hi, Ben. Hi, Ben. And I have Matt. What's happening? I have Hayden. Hey. And I have Jill. Hey, guys. And, of course, this is me, Mike. And we have um, a topic that was suggested by one of our big-time listeners Miss Faye of the Koala Club, and uh, she's actually been on the show before. She was a guest. I think it was episode four, but I may be mistaken. But uh, we had her and Michelle on the show for episode four, and she requested tonight that we talk about emotional sobriety. And this might be the one episode that I get a lot of feedback on because uh, I think we might all have a different idea of emotional sobriety. Um. Uh, I'm going to read the uh, Google definition of it. What is emotional sobriety? Emotional sobriety goes beyond the absence of addictive substance. It's about developing a skill set that enables a person to manage their emotions in a healthy way, preventing them from resorting to substance as a coping mechanism. Sounds a little bit like acceptance, almost, you know, mm -hmm. accepting things for the way they are. Maybe we'll read that, you know, sometime in this uh, podcast. And then there's another question, uh, why is emotional sobriety, or what is emotional sobriety? Alcoholism, just what it says. Uh, physical sobriety means that you abstain from alcohol and drugs. That's your physical part of it. While that's essential for recovery, emotional sobriety is also important. I believe that to be true. Emotional sobriety involves being able to regulate your feelings so that you can cope with all aspects of life without returning to drugs or alcohol. Makes sense, you know? Yeah. What do y'all think about that? Uh, one more thing I'm going to read here. Um, what is emotional sobriety living sober? It's another Google thing. Emotional sobriety allows you to acknowledge those feelings and face them head on. So they I like don't, that. Yeah, I do too. So they don't <clears throat> define what you do and who you are. Wow. That's probably the best definition, you know. Having negative emotions while in recovery is absolutely okay. That's good. That is good. <laughs> You're going to have negative emotions sometimes because you are human. Human, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and we have a group of five humans here tonight. Um, yeah, we left the dog out. Somebody this may be suspect. <laughs> Jury's out. There may be a reptilian sitting among y'all. So <laughs> we have we have five humans here tonight, and I can only speak for myself. I do not actually have the longest amount of recovery in this room right now. Um, 
I've been sober for a while, and I can honestly say that I would love to think that I have achieved emotional sobriety. We're going to read something that Bill Wilson wrote later on in the episode about emotional sobriety because he uh, he wrote a book called Living Sober. I don't. I'm, I'm, let me let me stop there. I don't know if Bill W. wrote that book. There's a book called Living Sober. And um, it has a lot of this stuff in it. And I would suggest anyone read it. I read it. My second sponsor actually suggested I read it, and I read it. Um, when I got my last, the, not my last, but the sponsor that I currently have, you know, he told me one time, he said, um, he said, you know, I probably can't teach you anything about not drinking. I probably can't, you know, do any of that. But what I can do is teach you how to live sober. Or maybe he said, maybe I can help you live sober is probably how he worded it because he's very, very elegant in his words. So, um, and I took that to heart because there are some times where maybe I don't have emotional sobriety. Maybe I feel like a 12-year-old kid again because I did not get my way, right? And then there's other days where I have, I have acceptance of of what's going on in my my little bubble you know in the world which is my small little world but um case in point a couple days ago i had a very important call that i had to get on and you know a lot of anxiety riding on this you know you know as it could be could have been a call that's going to change my life that that big of a call right and um so I, I go in my office, and it's a video call, so I, I get a chance to sign in before everybody else does and all that other stuff. But I go in my office, and I uh, take my name badge off. I put my name badge in my my backpack, and um, I get down on my hands and knees, and I just said, Thy will be done. I just need you to help me get through this. The next 20 minutes is, is all I need. I, I'm not all I need, but I need the guidance to get through this 20 minutes Whatever you think is best for me, then that's what's going to happen, you know. And then I got back up. I put my name badge on. I composed myself, and I signed on to the call, you know, as opposed to being so anxious about this thing that's about to happen that I basically just start thinking about something that I really shouldn't think about, you know, whether it's going out and drinking or doing drugs or um, whether it's just doing something I shouldn't do to make myself feel better, you know. And um, for me, and I can't speak for anyone, but that's emotionally sober at that point. You know, I've, I've gathered a little bit of acceptance over the situation and whatever God wants is what's the most important thing in my life at that moment, not what I want, right? And I'm still allowed to want, just so everybody knows, I'm still allowed to have a desire. I'm still allowed, but the outcome of that has absolutely nothing to do with me. And I have accepted that. And I'm accepted in a lot of parts of my life. And in other parts, I haven't. You know, and I have to do a lot of parts of my life. I have to accept it on a regular basis because it's there. But there are parts of my life where I've just accepted things for exactly the way they, way they are. And I don't give them much thought. They don't really enter my head too much because I know there's not a whole lot I can do about these things. And, you know, is that emotionally sober? I, I like to think it is, but I also think that there's times where I'm not emotionally sober. Um, and that's when I need you guys, right? I need you guys. I need a sponsor. I need some big book. I need a meeting. I need prayer, most importantly. Yeah. You know, I need that higher power to, to – to, to, I need to remember there's a higher power, and it ain't me. Um, so, uh, you know, I think we'll just go around the table. We'll start with Hayden this time. We'll go all the way around back to me, and we'll just – Talk a little bit about emotional sobriety. Just warn you guys in advance. When we get back to me, I'm going to do some more reading. You know, so if you want to hear me read, you go fast. If you want not hear me read, don't go fast, right? So go ahead, guys. All right. Uh, so what Mike said uh, is so important to the way that I view my life today. Um, you know, I don't know where any of the literature says it, but uh, acceptance is my answer today. Uh, whenever... I first got in the program, I really took advantage of that saying, and uh, I tried to allow that be my excuse for the way that I was. You know, um, I would view situations and I would say, man, I just I have to accept it. Even if I had the power to, uh, to change something about it, you know, uh, the serenity prayer really um, encapsulates what emotional sobriety is for me today. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I don't have control over people like I thought I always did. You know, I I had such 
a skewed perce- a perception of what was going on in life that, uh, you know, I, I thought I could control the way that people thought. I thought that um, I could control the way that they felt about me. And it just always led to, uh, to disappointment. My, uh, my expectations always let me down and, you know, and maybe not always, but, uh, it just, there's something about having a contact with God that allows me to manage my stress in such a, such a big way, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm not in control of everything. And I don't have to be. And it actually turns out that things go a bit better whenever I'm not. Uh, and, you know, it, it, took, it took a long time for me. Uh, I didn't have any, uh, any faith. I might have had that uh, fundamental belief in something greater than myself so deep down inside of me. But I was so disconnected from that that, you know, I couldn't see it. And, uh, man, it took me getting in here and loving somebody else for me to realize that there's something to this, you know, uh, truly caring about others. And, you know, that's, that's what established, um, you know, some trust in God, because that's not, that's not the way that I've, I viewed my fellow man for the longest time. Uh, you know, I, I really didn't care for people the way that I do today. And I feel like that ties in, being a huge part of my emotional sobriety, uh, just having the ability to care for someone other than myself. And not only that, it's like whenever there's something that I can do about me mm-hmm. and then having the willingness to do it, uh, especially whenever it uh, benefits others. But sometimes, you know, uh, I might think that working on myself only benefits me but it, it translates into so many different aspects of my life that, uh, you know, I, I get to be a friend today. I get to be a boyfriend. My family gets to reap the benefits of uh, the, the emotional sobriety that I have today. And, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's, it's pretty awesome. I, I've never known any type of uh, peace in my life. Uh, whenever they say irritable, restless, and discontented, I knew exactly what they <laughs> meant. For, I, I didn't understand a single one of the, the Alcoholics Anonymous phrases other than that one. I was like, yes, that is... Bingo. Yeah, for sure. Uh, right. And uh, today, that's not the case. It, it is sometimes, you know, uh, what Mike was just talking about with that uh, that phone call, you know... I have something similar going on in my life right now. I have to sit down uh, with my employer tomorrow, and this is this is essentially a life changing uh, decision that I've already made. But uh, you know, everything's going into motion first thing in the morning, and I just have to I have to remember that what no matter what happens, you know. I have to remain connected to God. I, I, I do the same thing that Mike does. Uh, anytime that I'm sitting down with uh, alcoholics, anytime that I'm going to, into a big uh, decision, you know, before every meeting, before I go into a treatment center, before I do many of the things that I do in life, I pray first. And that's something that I, I've never done before. And there's something about that that... Uh, that really fuels me, you know, I, I just, I I can't explain it. And, you know, I I know that some people understand it, but whenever I'm going into a situation and I'm super nervous and I'm worried, you know, and I say that prayer, there's something that happens. Even if I'm still nervous and worried after, or after the prayer, once I make it through that, that's when, that's where uh, I'll feel the gratitude a lot of the time because, you know, once I'm out of the control seat, then everything turns out all right, you know. And honestly, everything that's happened up until this point in my life has been all right because I'm here and I'm sitting with you mm-hmm. guys, you know. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, as far as emotional sobriety goes, uh, it, it comes and it goes. You know, there's, there's certain things that I practice that work really well, but I don't always practice them and – uh you know, it it shows in my day to day whenever whenever some of those things lack or whenever I take a step back in an area that works for me, I can tell the difference. But uh, 
today's today's been a good one so yeah so let me throw this in there because i want y'all all to answer this mike said was talking about the physical sobriety and then the you know what we're talking about now and the physical normally you know can cannot be that long of a time and you're kind of over that or you're you know for the most part um but for me the the emotional uh part is uh that's a lifetime deal you know like that's where the sobriety really starts you know is that it was that was the physical part pretty quick for you or so uh in my experience whenever i got sober my expectations for my sobriety were once the drugs and alcohol were removed from my life everything was going to be all right but it was quite the opposite you know uh i've seen where people will get in the program and immediately start feeling better uh and that just wasn't the case for me um everything that so i'll tell you my my first day in sober living was cool because i felt safe for the first time in a long time and immediately after that everything was crap you know and man it's it's a it's a gradual thing like i i thought that i had arrived at where i needed to be in in my emotional sobriety and it's only gotten better since then so it's like i'm just looking forward to what the future has because I don't believe I've arrived anywhere. Right. It's like, and like, like I was sharing on a previous episode, I, I told myself I wasn't going to be in a relationship for the first year of my sobriety. But once, once I had that idea of like, okay, I made it. It's like, yeah, I can add somebody to my life. And then all that shit goes straight out the window. It's like fit hit the shan, dude. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, I lost my mind immediately, but, uh, you know, you, you live and you learn and, uh, the, the physical sobriety is, you know, it's, it's extremely important, but, uh, the emotional sobriety has been m- much harder for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. And I, I know Jill's talked about, she had a, like the detox part was a long thing for you. And I also ingested some other substances other than just alcohol. So I do kind of understand what she was talking about. It was a physical little longer process than maybe it should have been but um yeah once i got through that i realized oh there's a whole other deal going on here you know uh so the the recovery part really started then um like you said that the recovery part really started yeah the actual recovery was like oh wait a minute i'm an idiot you know so now we start over and five years later still an idiot but with less issue issues you know so be kind to yourself well i mean y'all know me I mean, I'm not, I'm being funny, but you know, I mean, I, I am where I am today and it, and it's, uh, man, it's just better. It's better all the way around, but man, I've got such a long way to go and it's taken, you know, years to just get to this point and it feels like I haven't barely touched the surface. So, you know, but anyway, what about you, man? Uh, emotional sobriety is a topic and, um, when I think about emotional sobriety, I always think about when I've heard a bunch of people say that from the moment we took that first drink, we stunted our emotional growth. And just about every decision I've made in my life up until this point, it's been based off of like what a 12-year-old shelfless kid wanted to do or wanted out of the situation. And to answer your question, Matt, for the first year, I felt like a rock star. Uh, Joe talks about when you have willpower, comparing it to having diarrhea and just seeing how long you can hold it. I felt like I was strong enough to just push through it and not not have to worry about the physical aspect of it. And I was doing things uh, young in sobriety that I don't suggest anybody do, uh, hanging around the same folks that were still drinking hard and heavy. Yeah. Uh, Going to social events where it's basically all about acting and doing everything that you're not supposed to do as a sober individual. The, um, but then I was greatly humbled right after my first birthday when I went and I, I passed by those same folks and I stopped by and I wanted to gloat and show them, hey, I've got a year of sobriety, woo 
and then somebody walked past me with a drink and I smelled sweet whiskey and I was like, let's celebrate my year with a drink. And then the next thought after that was like, how fucking stupid do you sound to yourself right now? Like we need to just leave the situation and go pray and talk to people and make meetings and all the good stuff we talk about. But yeah, emotional sobriety for me is uh, recognizing that I'm not, 12 anymore i've got more important things in life to worry about and then approaching things and scenarios like a a grown person ought ought to uh today i had a really rough start to my day um i woke up two hours late i woke up at the exact time i planned on being where i was supposed to be working um then after i called and let them know hey i'm running late i didn't give them any wild crazy story like i probably would have in the past like hey there was a wreck or then i ran into a train and then now my truck's overheating yes a bunch of three things that could possibly happen but not all in a row um but i just told them hey i'm running late i'll be there in a bit showed up got everything going and then i sunk the piece of equipment that i was (laughs) working on in the mud where'd you find mud at the pond that I was oh, okay. around. Oh, okay. Yeah. Makes more sense. Yeah. So, had a dry spell here for a while. Yeah. But I, I sunk the piece of equipment that I was working on in the mud. And then for the next about an hour and a half, I fought that situation just like I fought my early sobriety and my alcoholism before I got sober. The, uh, I did not want to admit defeat in that scenario. I hooked everything I could to that piece of equipment and tried to pull it out. And then finally... After I was fully soaked this shirt and my feet were covered in mud and I was like, let me call my best buddy. Because I'm not calling my boss. I'm calling my best buddy to see if he can come pull me out of the scenario. Did you go pull him out, Matt? No, it wasn't oh, Matt. Matt's not, not my buddy. best buddy. No. I'm, not, I'm second best. Yeah. I'm just the Instagram video guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. what I do. Yeah. It's my role. But uh, I called him and, of course, he, he wasn't able to come to my rescue. And then I had to call my boss and then he didn't answer so i was like okay i'm just gonna call his underling and called him and he's like well why don't you just get the big tractor and pull it out and i was like well, well the big tractor's not moving and he's like well we 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 had a great morning and it, my morning was over probably around 12 30 when i finally got to relax and just get back on that original piece of equipment and just go cut grass but uh you know, your best buddy, by the way, I want to say something about your best buddy. When Ben got in the situation he was in uh, and and got into AA in the program early on, I, I knew his, his friend and uh, Chris, and we knew each other, but I didn't know him, know him. <clears throat> and uh, just a month or two into it, and he tried calling Ben, and Ben's like an old senior citizen. He leaves his phone places and won't answer it for days at a time. Sometimes he doesn't even look at it. But I remember Chris calling me, and I didn't even know he had my number. And he called me. He said, hey, have you talked to Ben? And I said, "Uh, no, I hadn't. Man, I can't get a hold of him. And it only been like half an afternoon, you know. And uh, I said, man, it just touched me that he cared enough to go, I'm kind of worried about this situation, you know. And uh I just, I just was very impressed, and it says a lot about Ben too that that somebody thinks that much of him. But uh, yeah, he's a good guy, by the way, and uh, I don't know if he listens to this, but uh, yeah. And I told him that I said he he was very worried about his friend, and and still is, and he, I see him every once in a while, and, you know. But anyway, Chris, a good dude. Yeah. Yeah. He's not the greatest looking guy, but he's a good dude. Yeah, he's not good looking. But hey, I hope he hears that's the pot calling the kettle black. So. Well, if he don't, I'm sure other folks will have their opinions of uh <laughs> of your best buddy there. Uh no, but uh, <clears throat> Yeah, I, I I think Okay. That's all I got on emotional well, sobriety. You know, and and you know, not to cuz we're going on to Matt, but not to to dive off too far into another topic, but you know, new new recovery can be like a roller coaster, man. I mean, uh, first off, we're going through these steps, and we've probably lost some things that we mean a lot to us. We probably think we can get some of those things back if we 
change. We probably think some people hate us. We probably think some people love us. We probably have all kind of emotions just up, down, up, down, up, down on a daily basis. And, you know, Matt, you, you mentioned Ben's phone. Mm-hmm. And he don't carry it around sometimes. He leaves it and whatever it is. Well, you know, back in the day, you know, they didn't have that. They didn't have that crutch that we carry around with us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, I wonder how emotional sobriety has changed since the 1930s. Hell, the 1990s, right? Yeah. Because now that whatever it is that's sparking that emotion is in our hand or in our pocket. A lot more accessible emotion. Motion-driven. Stimulus. Yeah, uh, stimulating. Yeah. We um, used some really big words in that last sentence. Man, look, I've been practicing, guys. Okay. You know. Stimulus. Um, <laughs> well, you know, well, and yeah, and I mean, I, th- I think it changes, um, you know, and the same thing could be said for this. I got sober. I, I worked uh, at a grass place cutting grass and got out of treatment. And the cool thing about it is there's sobriety stuff on there, too. Yeah. You know? And so I would be on a lawnmower all day and I would pop headphones in and listen to people in Alcoholics Anonymous out in California talk about their story. And yeah, I would those listen to that stuff all day. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. California. The Pacific Group and all that stuff, you know. And Canyon Club out there in Malibu. Or um, actually, it's not right outside. But, yeah, I mean, so so it's both ways, you know. And I think, I think uh, you know, but emotional sobriety for me, and it's constantly growing. But, and this has been through going through it for a few years, but it's like, at the end of the day, number one, just don't hide from the feeling and don't try to cover the feeling up. Good, bad, or indifferent. Either way, it's going to change. Happy, sad, mad, pissed, whatever you want to call it, you're going to feel them. You're a human being, and it will change, no matter which one it is. And some take longer than others to, to move out. Um, but but to be able to just sit and, and basically take it, for lack of a better word, um, and deal with it as best you can. And that's the other part of it is I have to constantly go. I think we're all pretty hard on ourselves. I know I can be hard on myself. I'll beat myself to death over stuff. Just, you, you know, shouldn't have done this, shouldn't have done that. And to sit back and go, okay, did I do the best I could do? I'm handling this as best I can. Did, did, have I been praying? Is You know, all these things. And it, it's given me a, a checklist of, you know, if I've done everything I can do, that's all I can do. It's just going to, if it sucks and it's just going to suck for a little while, let it suck, you know, and that that's all you can do. Um, and for me, that's been a change because I didn't like the way I felt if I was, if, you know, in the past before I came in here, if I felt great, man, I know something will make it even better. We can make this better than it was. If I felt bad, Oh, I can I can make that better too. So it didn't matter how I felt then. I I used either way. So now it doesn't matter how I feel, and I try not to use either way on that. You know, what about it, Jill? Okay, so emotional sobriety. Um, you know, when I think about that, I I think about what you know our core emotions, both positive and negative. Um, I was not okay. After the physical detox, I wasn't okay during the physical detox. Um, When those emotions hit me, I cried for probably around 30 days. They were starting to think something was wrong with me at the facility I was at. I couldn't stop. And what it was was suppressed emotions that I decided I just wasn't going to deal with. And it was probably decades of it. And there was a lot of grief a lot of grief in there, um, sadness, loneliness, you know, just anger, everything. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of positive in there. Um, that, that left a long, you know, a long time ago. So it, at that point it was like, what am I going to do with this? And, and that's when I, you know, dove into my treatment works. I knew something had to change at that time, but, you know, rather, than what I did uh, normally if I went to a doctor, because I went to a lot of them trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Instead of lying, I was actually honest with myself for the first time, and I just vomited all everything, the frustrations, the anger, um, you know, all of it. And there was a lot that I had to process and a lot of work that I had to do. Like this stuff right here took some serious action. 
um, especially when it came to the grief, because there were just too many scenarios in my life where people had died that I felt responsible for. And that's something that I had to get over or else I probably wouldn't stay sober. I also was suffering from severe, um, you know, suffer from panic attacks. If I could not get over this fear, I would not stay sober. The depression, the anger, I was so angry at like where I was in life. And it wasn't okay with me because I was supposed to, you know, gotten married in my 20s and had kids and had a professional, you know, and had a great job and a house and all this shit. And guess what? None of it. And so I was angry at everything. Um, and I displayed my anger through violence, um, which is absolutely not me. But man, if you got alcohol me with a couple of other substances, and it wasn't just alcohol, it was whiskey. Things got really ugly. And I got in blackouts. And I mean, it got to the point of aggravated assault and battery. Like, what? And so... Um, that's me right there, not <laughs> handling my emotions. And I felt like for a really long time, I was out of control. You know, I tried medications, I tried hospital stays and, and stuff like that throughout the years. But again, I was drinking on them, I was using on them, and I was never honest with any of the doctors that I saw. But my emotions ran my life. Uh, fear ran my life. I could, all I could think about was how horrible things had always been since till then and how, uh, how scared I was of everything that could possibly happen. I mean, I stayed in this, in this um, area of living in tomorrow and living in uh, yesterday. Wait, those are two different things, right? That's not the same thing. Okay, I just got really confused. No, you're um, right. You and, had it right. And they say yeah. like that. If you're living in the past, man, you are you're ruminating. You are in the depression state. If you're in the future, you're you are future tripping. You're yeah. thinking about things that haven't even happened, which cause anxiety. And I think that's just what I did. So I let fear, I let um, you know, anger, I let anxiety and everything control my life. But the only way I thought I could control that was by using. So if I get drunk, guess what? That shit disappears for a little bit. If I get high, it disappears for a little bit. But I didn't know the fundamentals of addiction, which mean like, you know, I have these feelings, they're out of control, but they seem to be controlled when I take this substance. However, I pass out and when I wake up, they're, they're there again. And sometimes like gas on a fire, they're even worse. <laughs> even worse. Yeah. And that's what happened. And they got worse and worse and worse. And I'm just trying to put more drugs and more alcohol on it to make all this go away. And then somewhere my addiction formed. And, um, and, and like I said, it, it was ugly. But throughout those, throughout those years, I just suppressed everything because I couldn't handle it. And that's what I did. I avoided, I swept it under the rug. I suppressed, I, I, I did all of that. And, um, it all came to a really ugly head in 2010 and I felt absolutely out of control. I felt, um, and I remember this, this was the strangest feeling that I've ever had in recovery was they had taken, you know, the drugs and alcohol out of my system. And I remember sitting and I, I just, I felt naked and I felt really exposed. Like I almost was sitting like trying to cover myself up because I felt so exposed at that point. It, it really freaked me out. And I didn't have, you know, those things that I thought were protecting me to protect me and protect my feelings. And um, I felt really vulnerable and, and that's the first thing that I had to do is, is get vulnerable. I had to talk about all of these emotions and, and through the steps is like really get down to what's really going on. You know, I have all this fear. Okay. What is it? Let's talk about it. Let's break it down. Um, you know, uh, what is it? You know, why? And, and, and why am I letting this control my life? Is this because I'm, you know, being selfish or dishonest? And I was. I was absolutely being a completely dishonest with myself. And so um, through the years, I've been able to dissect all of it. And I can honestly say that I'm, I'm stable. 
and and I think that's that's really fabulous because uh, I like feeling this way. I like feeling calm. I like knowing that if I do get in fear or if I do get angry, I have a solution and I know exactly what to do uh, because I've been through it. And you better bet I'm going to be doing a lot of work um, because I can't afford to get angry um, because I consequences. I just can't have any consequences anymore. Like that's just not my life. And there's so many ways I think I could go into say about emotions and emotional sobriety is, um, that I could go in many different ways. Um, you know, it means I can be vulnerable now and I can help other people. It means that, um, gosh, it means that I practice the principles in all of my affairs. So if I'm doing that, I'm not getting into those uh, negative emotions. I'm not in self. Um, Cause when I'm in self, um, I start to get into those negative emotions. It, it just, like I said, I feel like we could probably talk for years about yeah. like where this could possibly go and what this could mean. It means I, I treat people with respect and I treat them well. I tell my clients all the time, the golden rule is what I live by. I want to treat people the way I want to be treated. And that's, that's, that's pretty damn good um, because that will mess with my emotional sobriety. There's, I mean, just anything. You know, it's taking care of myself. It's taking care of other people. It's making sure that I, I take care of everything in my life and doing it, you know, the way it should be. It's not lying. It's not cheating. It's not manipulating. It is not any of that stuff because that screws with my emotions. I don't want to feel guilty anymore. I don't want to feel shame. I don't want to feel fear. I don't want to feel anxiety. I have new emotions now and they're great. Like I feel happy for no reason. And I did not have that. I remember this one time I was driving down the street and I felt happiness for the, for just one, just for about 10 seconds. And I remember I called my mom and, and how pathetic this sound. And I remember being like, Oh my God, mom, you want, you just won't believe what happened. I just, I, I was blissful for like 10 seconds. And I can't imagine what that felt like for my mom to hear that. Like, uh, to me, it was like, whoa. I mean, it was far out. Um, God, what generation? Um, anyway. Um, and and so, I don't know. It It's pretty much everything in my life. Because emotions are connected to everything. And um, I have to stay on top of that because I don't, I don't want to lose my mind again. And, and that's really important for my sobriety, everybody around me, my, my job, my career. It's everything. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I'll just kind of no, I was, I was that. As Jill was talking, I was sitting around. All the guys were like looking intently and listening to everything. <laughs> Jill's always on it, man. Yeah, I went to rethink that emotional sobriety. Thing. And like, you know, something, <laughs> something, yeah, yeah. Um, something you said, too, is like when I was using and drinking – I was constantly evaluating my emotions, why I'm up, you know. But it wasn't evaluating them the way I evaluate them today. It was, oh, I'm pissed. Well, I know I gotta how to take something. care of that. I got to do something. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right, let's celebrate. That yeah. was another good one, you know. Right. We're going to make this happy. It's always an extreme. It always had to be extremes. Um, to 100, man. Huh? I love that. Yeah, that's what happened with my last DUI scare. The, yeah. uh <laughs> Scare. <laughs> Last DUI scare. My man had a horn stuck in the middle of the night beating on his truck because the horn was stuck honking and he didn't want the cops called. Him. Because of oh, yeah, dude. I could barely see lights. Like, I couldn't make out objects, but I'm over here in front of my truck trying to rip the battery out of it so the horn would stop. So it stopped pulling attention so I can just get this thing out of the street for the cops show. He didn't make it. Didn't make it. Cops beat me to it. Oh, hold on. So it wasn't a DUI scare. It was a DUI, right? No, it was a scare because I didn't wind up with He was DUI. scared until uh, he got the how DUI. Many, how many I DUI was, scares do you, do, do you have? Like two, but there should have been like 15 billion because right. I, I love no, to drink a, and drive. That's all yeah. of us, man. But like, isn't that weird that you, I have a different way of evaluating where I'm at. And so like when I start getting irritated today and I go, I, I almost have a category to put it in and I go, oh, okay, well, that's why I'm this way and it's not just fly off the handle and go crazy and um do i vent yes ben knows about it 
He's been a it's part awesome. of it. It's uh, awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. And uh, I only get a couple of minutes, and then that's it. But, you know, it, it's a total different way of dealing with the same emotions without just burning it to the ground. Well, you know? and, th- and that's the thing with a lot of emotions. I will react, and mm-hmm. I don't react well to them. Um, and so that's why I have to be careful. It's, it's in everybody's best interest, including mine. And the react, that's that's, I mean – just even that is like today I go, just don't open your mouth. Just don't open your mouth. And, right now, don't talk. And you know, here's the thing. Just th- stand you, there. You don't have to. Yeah. That not that crazy? Well, if someone says something to you you don't like, you don't have to do anything. There is, I, I don't know where the rule book I read prior to getting into AA is that says you have to react to everything. Because I, I, I just don't have to react. I have learned in, you know, in the little bit of time I've been sober, I have learned that no reaction is a reaction. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have not ever gotten in trouble for something I did not do. Have you ever have you ever had this situation? Somebody go off the handle. Sorry, Joe, I'm kicking you there. Um, you go, you go, off, somebody goes off the handle or, or just gets that situation where it's instant confrontation and I just stop, and I don't say anything. And they're having the conversation. It's a one-sided conversation. And they want you to engage in it. And then you maybe should even, you know, especially a work situation. But you don't. And then 30 minutes goes by, and they realize you never reacted. And then they calm down. And they come back and go, oh, yeah, well. And you've never, your story's never changed. My story's never changed. And that's a good thing today. Instead of it being... 20 times worse than it could have been. Oh, yeah. Just by stopping and going, I'm just going to act like I'm listening to music and I'm going to go on, you know. And yeah. Like emotional sobriety also to me is the pause. Yes. Oh, you yeah. know, it's, oh it's, I, it's I was huge. just thinking about the pause, man. Just the, the pause. You know, you don't have to go all Chuck Norris on somebody <laughs> just because they piss you off. Jill is Chuck Norris. Dude. Yeah, yeah, she's the Chuck Norris of our recovery. On, yes. I want to give on the pause. <clears throat> Talking about Jill being blissful for a second, it's like we talk about a lot of negatives and everything. I find myself, anytime I have a reaction to something, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, I stop and evaluate the situation. And yesterday, I don't know if any of y'all have seen the the uh, cinematic masterpiece, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. I've seen it. There, there's a scene in there where he's driving along a smooth road and he's bouncing around yeah. acting like it's incredibly oh, yeah. I was in my tractor or not my tractor but my boss's tractor yesterday and I wound up doing that and then I stopped for a second and I was like somebody might see me acting silly and I was like oh wait I get to act silly today I yeah. can do that Yeah, you so can I did do that it too. I, I leaned into it hard and I'm in the cap this thing just <laughs> bouncing around having a glorious time singing oh, I get to I get to pause and realize that today I get to be happy for no reason other than just I was happy. And you know, and being grateful, that. man, and like today I go down the road or I'm I'm doing whatever, especially in the morning and I'm going to work and I'm trying to get my mind right and going through my little routine. And a lot of times it's gratitude, man, you know, and I'm like, man, I'm sure like I'm I'm the luckiest dude on planet Earth. And even with you, you, you know, it's easy to sit and go, oh, well, this isn't going good and this isn't going good. But, man, big picture, I'm way, way far ahead of where I should be. And I I just – but today when I'm grateful for something or a thought pops in my head that, man, this guy helped me out or this person is awesome, man. They, You know, I let them know that. I want them to know, hey, man, you, I thought about you today. You, you've been a big help to me. And – I had somebody do that the other night, send me a text, and I was just like, oh, man, like, that was so cool. And they're like, yeah, I want to make sure when I feel this way that I – that I and I was like, yeah, I try to do that too, you know. And uh, I did not do that a long time ago. I, I didn't send anything like that to anybody unless it was a some kind of benefit to, you know. Uh, and I still don't like Ben. He's over here uh, eating pizza while I'm talking, but – uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's just, it's just a whole different spirit. I think it's just spiritually, you know, a change. You and, know, uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a little bit of, of Bill Wilson. Y'all want, y'all want to hear a little Bill W? Of course. It's a letter he wrote. 
Those adolescent urges that so many of us have for top approval, perfect security, and perfect romance urges quite appropriate to age 17 prove to be an impossible way of life when we are at age 47 or 57. Since AA began, I've taken immense wallops in all these areas because of my failure to grow up emotionally and spiritually. My God, how painful it is to keep demanding the impossible and how very painful to discover finally that all along we have had the cart before the horse. Then comes the final agony of seeing how awfully wrong we have been but still finding ourselves unable to get off the emotional merry-go-round. That is some deep stuff right there, man. And I think where a lot of people get trapped, uh, speaking of the emotional merry-go-round, is the, the chaos, the drama. It's addicting the game of, of all of that. And I think people like that, uh, you know, uh, that, that black and white, that, um, you know, not having that balance and being in the gray. They enjoy in the extreme it. of emotions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you know, I'm, and I'm going to tell you, emotional, Jill covered a gamut, right? Yeah. A whole huge <laughs> portion of, of some, uh, I'm probably just scratched the surface, you know, on emotional sobriety. Nowadays, you know, we have um, emotional immaturity on the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, someone upsets us. So we post something. You know, and then it becomes a back and forth game that does not have to exist. You know, am I emotionally sober enough to accept the fact that someone said that and I don't have to do anything? Am I emotionally, you know, (laughs) as in in war, the victor only seemed to win. Right. You know, I mean, I don't have to win. You know, sometimes losing might be the best thing for me. Um, (laughs) I can actually love somebody. With all of my heart, and they not love me at all, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Yep. As long as I'm not climbing trees in front of their house or sitting in their driveway, or you see where I'm going with that, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. there's emotional insecurities in a lot of aspects of our lives, and and today I I just know you know that you know, and on top of that, I can look at someone who has done something to hurt me, even if I haven't done anything at all, and I might understand i have the program of alcoholics anonymous i have the tools to deal with this they don't they don't have the ability to control themselves they're not emotionally mature and Um, and you know the social media thing things get put on there and things get said and and you know if you've been in that situation you're like yeah that's not necessarily correct and then some of it's really not correct the the first in the past, your first thing is to lash out and go, Right. I'm going to clean this up. But you know what, man? Like, let people read it. Well, you know, like, and the reason, I don't care. The reason I say that like, is I have a particular um, person in, in my life. Um, and uh, there was something said on, on a, a certain, I guess it was Facebook. I think it was Facebook about this particular, not him. It was someone else, right? And before it's said and done, there is 300 things going on, you know, that, do you know when it ends? Never. When people tire out. <laughs> yeah. they, you know, the, those comments will sputter. Who, who won there? You know, because yeah. most likely, no one cares what you think. You know where, you know, uh, that's, that's funny, man, you, you hit on that. But you know where I'm at today, and I think it's good, is... I don't I don't have to change somebody's opinion about me. Good, bad, or indifferent. It's none of my business. I can't control what they think about me. May I do I always like some of the stuff that's said, or is it correct? No. Sometimes it might be true. And also at the same time, on the social media aspect of it, the people that know me and it's a very small circle that I really not care about what they think but that know me that i that i have in my circle it's okay you know and people that are in my circle like that too if i saw something social media wise and and all this the worst reaction would be eh, well they're not perfect either you know they're they're my friend but you know 
it just doesn't have to be a. And if I can't handle that, I don't need to be on social media. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I agree. There is something that you touched on, uh, both of you guys have, uh, that we haven't talked about, and that's empathy. Um, is is the ability, you know, if you are emotionally sound and, and speaking up like emotional sobriety, you have, you will have the capability to have empathy for other people. You'll be able to put yourself in other people's shoes. So therefore, when something does happen and you're angry and, uh, or you have any type of, uh, negative emotion attached to that, you can actually put yourself in that person's shoes and be like, well, yeah, if that happened to me, this is the way I would want these to be treated. Um, and that takes a lot that takes the absence of ego, the absence of the absence of pride in order to feel empathy. Um, and I think that's a pretty, pretty, you know, big, um, thing that is, uh, what am I trying to say? God bless. I'm getting tired. Um, that people, you know, can, that people that are emotionally well practice, and, and I think, too, Mike hit it. Not everybody has a program. I, th- I think the world would be an awesome place if everybody went to Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. Because you can substitute. I mean, just, just – uh, but when you're in those situations with people, and they're good people. I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, wild, crazy nut jobs, but you're in those situations with people, and you realize they don't necessarily have the same – thing to fall back on and and they don't evaluate where they're at like we do yes and you go man and then you pray for them and they're mad at you and you're going that's what's up right they, there. they really need they really like i hope i hope that they get a little bit of peace out of this deal and maybe can stop being so worked up about and, it and, and what can i do to help that person yeah and like you know, um, if it's staying away maybe i need to stay away yes yeah. if, if it's offering up something what can i do to help this person regardless of what they've done to me what can I do to, to, to make their life better? And the AA talks about this, right? It, it talks about our minds have got to be to helping others. And it talks about in the uh, ninth step, you know, how some people are sick. And, and, you know, they may have been wrong. But what is our part? We always think about it. What was our part in the wrong done? What is our part in making this situation better, regardless of that, right? And you have to be somewhat emotionally uh, mature or emotional, have some emotional sobriety about you in order to think about it like that. Because, uh, and at first they may think you're being a smart ass. <laughs> I mean, you know, what's this smart ass? You know, you know, though, too, when you just silently pray for somebody, you just don't even, just don't even acknowledge, you don't even have to tell them that you're doing it. No. But, uh, um, that, that's where with, with, I think God gives you that moment of, too, when you when you break down and pray for somebody, especially somebody you're in conflict with, or there's a there's a situation like that, God's gonna kind of go, hey, here's maybe something that might help that situation and give you a nudge to maybe I was off on this, maybe blah blah blah, whatever it might be. But it just goes back to spiritual maintenance every single day of our life. And if you're you know? if you're relying on the guidance from a higher power. I promise you, if you feel anger and you want to lash out, that's you. That is not your Absolutely. guidance from a higher power. Absolutely. That's, that's that selfish self-centeredness that we talk about in these books somewhere. Speaking on the empathy thing towards other folks, um, I was employed at a place, and there was a, another person there that everybody knew had an alcohol issue. Uh, I mean, this guy, when it got warm outside, you could smell it off from 50 feet away. And... Before I got sober, I was just like everybody else that worked up there. I had a lot of anger, a lot of resentment towards him, and I did everything in my power in some cases to make his life a living hell for no reason other than it brought me some slight joy just to make his ass, just to make his ass sweat a little bit more. Um, now I'm sober, and I've got put back in a situation where I've been able to work with him and – I can see where I was just a complete asshole to him. And and, and it's almost like because the state he's in, just every step he takes, he's worried about his job. He's worried about if he's going to fuck up or screw up anything. So anytime I'm around him, I try and put on a smile. I I try and help him as much as I can. Uh, 
shoot, not too long ago, he was having a day where he's he was severely worried he was going to lose his job, and I just I just did everything I could to just. I mean, I had him stop for a second, take a breath. Let's just count to ten. Let's try and forget about the situation for a minute. Then we'll address what we got to address, and we can talk a little bit when 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 we get done what we got to get done right now. But I can't tell whether he slowed up on his drinking or anything like that. But he looks a little bit better than he used to. But I just I can feel for him now. And you may have made yourself one less person he's worried about, yeah. which is yeah, really he, all he, you can do. Uh, I can tell when when he sees me and he talks to me, he he's not worried about when he's talking to me, and uh, he's he's open to what I have to say to him rather than being immediately closed off like he used to be. Because as soon as I came around him, he was already ready for the punches uh, prior to me feeling a little bit better or feeling a little bit empty. and you know too man the situation you're in now with your past with them and then the way it is today you know the program's a program of attraction and here's a guy that's dealing with the same stuff we've all dealt with and i'm sure everybody in his life's like man you're drunk you need to get help but yet you're at the same time just being kind when you weren't in the past and he's gonna sit back and go what's changed here like what's going on here and instead of People coming down on him, it may open the door down the road to him. Go, dude, what what did you do? You know, and you get to have that moment. Go, man, I, you know, I struggle with it too, and and uh, approach it the right way. You yeah, know? and I've had so, a few of the coworkers ask what I thought about certain scenarios that he was involved in. I was like, man, I just got to have some patience with him. Just uh, take take a step back and think about it like if he was a child. Like, I mean, you you can't just fly off the handle with him every single time because all he's going to do is worry about every step and every time he does that he trips over his own feet and probably lashes out in his own way whether and it may be a lash out that happens at home and not at work so we don't know who's affected Mm -hmm. right i'll be honest with you i didn't know what the word empathy meant and uh so i kind of julia uses a lot of big words i know man even though it's only what five six letters (laughs) she's like we got to talk about empathy and i'm like oh okay yeah let's talk about that okay it's kind of like sympathy without the s you know i know but man good uh we had a good uh good recording session here good podcast got a lot of stuff i want to remind everybody you know listeners and everybody that uh the the principle behind the fourth step is courage and um last three three episodes maybe four we've talked about uh nothing but um you know um our personal stuff we dove off into some serious you know issues with us and um and that takes courage to talk about and i hope somebody can talk about other things you know with their sponsors or or someone who listens you know um so next episode we're going to dive off into integrity which is the principle behind the fifth step i'm just going to skip that one no you're going to be here you got to be you got to have enough integrity to show up so um but we're going to talk about integrity which is the principle behind the fifth step and i want to remind everyone about the email address of course give us a call uh area code 985-377-4816 we'd love to hear from you leave a voicemail we'll play it on the air um got mike walston on instagram you can look me up mike walston jr uh my dad's on there too we got um b and g bozier uh at gmail.com if you want to send us an email we'll read it on the air and of course if you have our numbers you can always text us um want to send our shout outs to our loyal listeners uh we got faye and we got michelle and we got Rhonda and we got kim we got judy and larry out there in radio land we have uh, Jane, who listens on a regular basis. And I know there's a lot more folks that I just can't think of the names right now. Um, I'll probably compile a list over the course because I do, I do seriously thank the people who listen and maybe can even share this podcast with other people who may need to hear some of this stuff, you know, and, and what's going on in our world. So My mother, very loyal listener, doesn't care about any of us but Jill. She loves Jill. <laughs> Uh, she asked me lots of questions about Jill, you know, so she's, she, I know she's listening she just, to, 
she may ask a lot about Jill, but I know she really loves me a lot because I well, got then too, two yes, jars of salsa, and I don't want to brag. Oh, hey, hey. <laughs> one of those were supposed to be for Jill. I, I think uh, I, no, I think I think that was a little bit of paid off because I, I I sent her a whole bunch of jars last time I got some salsa. Brown noser. Yeah, because I wanted more salsa. <laughs> I was hoping we wouldn't bring up the salsa, especially since we're going to be talking about integrity next right. week. Because Matt left uh, Jill salsa here at the apartment, and wow. yeah, thanks for narking did, me out. Did on Matt that, write guys. integrity on the board? No, no that was Matt. Me. Will okay, never well, write the word integrity. I Jill, can't, man. I can't even spell the word salsa? pervert. <laughs> hey. So anyway. We got a sign off for tonight. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. From Bozier City, Louisiana, this is the Grouch and the Brainstorm. Hey, 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 hey.